Any of you ever uh, had the rapture of the church used as a threat, a very negative warning of some kind to you? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, well, you'll get this, and so this is kind of an inside joke, but it uh, may not be a joke. We'll see. Uh, anybody that you see later that that's not here this morning say, man, I hope it's not snowing when the rapture happens. And you guys, under, you guys understand that that raised your hand. Um, when we first moved to Kansas City, it snowed a lot. And um, about 1980, it just changed. Did you notice that? So that we get snows like this. We, we dismissed Sunday services once. We had 12 inches of snow on the ground, and that Saturday it, it snowed about 8 inches. I wrecked my car in the snow. That might have contributed to my feeling about the next morning, and we, we canceled that. I regretted it at 7.30. There were two of our guys standing on my front porch in shorts to take me to breakfast. Um, I'm not going to tell you who... They are, you may know them. And, and that particular incident did not contribute anything to my esteem of their intellect, okay? Uh, some people just have it and some just don't. And uh, you can put them in whatever slot you like, but uh, really I'd, I wish it didn't snow on Wednesday and Sundays because then I don't have the stress of saying, no, I'm not going to cancel church unless I have to. And... Uh, we do when we have to. And my wife was saying, I don't want to drive on this. She drove yesterday quite a bit on what was on the streets yesterday, but it was different this morning. And I said, I, we'll talk after I get to church. I came in about 7, and, and uh, we'll, you can make your decision that. And she didn't know it, but I was going to say, if you can't make it, I'll come get you. But she said, okay, I'll see you. And uh, obviously didn't crash her car en route uh, we don't live that far from here and there's one spot that's kind of tricky and if you and it's getting out of the neighborhood if you can get out of the neighborhoods in this community onto the main streets you can usually get around and so obviously you did i hope you didn't mess up some sheet metal or something getting here uh we're glad you're here I'm going to talk to you this morning about judgment, the judgment of God on the United States. And that always is a real thrill to us all. I look forward to it a lot, and I know that when I announce that, you go, <laughs> not again. But um, if judgment comes, how shall we respond? And you know that... The sermons the last two or three months and then for the next couple of months that I will be bringing to you have a, have a different color on them than usual in that it's one of the last ones I'll be preaching to you as lead pastor. And so as we, as we wind toward this transition in, in uh, the life of this church and our lives, it's like... Uh, is it related to 
dying words? I don't think I'm dying. My dad's still living, and so, you know, I've got some, and he was 25 when I was born, so <clears throat> you can figure that out. Well, you don't know my age. Well, it's 39, so you can figure how old dad is. But uh, how shall we respond to judgment? And the answer to that is Philippians 2, verse 5 and following. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stop the sermon there, even though that is the answer to how shall we respond to judgment. I, you know that I'm not going to stop after that brief a time. Jonathan Kahn wrote a book uh, a few years ago entitled The Harbinger. In that book, and many of you read that, he called attention to the parallel between ancient Israel and modern U.S. experiences. Before ancient Israel fell and was deported, they suffered an invasion by their northern enemy. The walls and towers of defense were destroyed, and their response is referenced in a word of the Lord through Isaiah to the people. In Isaiah 9, 8, we read, The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart, notice how they're responding to this invasion and what was the hand of the Lord upon them, against them. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. But the Lord has strengthened reason's foes against them and has spurred their enemies, Arameans, Arameans, that was people from what we now call Syria, Arameans from the east and the Philistines from the west, have devoured Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. That is, God's anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And that phrase, his hand is still upraised, is repeated several times in the, next, in the rest of that chapter, and in the 10th chapter of Isaiah, where this message continues, talking about the judgment of God, his hand is still upraised, and think of that hand like this. His hand is still upraised. It was God's fist against the nation. By the way, don't pick on God. He's tougher than you are. Khan turned... 9-11 and that experience into a lesson for us and quoted the 
leaders of the United States the evening of and the morning following uh, the fall of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, this scripture, pieces of this scripture that I just read to you were quoted by our leaders. They didn't know what they were doing. And some speechwriter jerked some scripture out because if in doubt, quote the Bible in uh, the U.S. That's, that's getting to be less and less, but it still happens. And it certainly happened 14 years ago. When, when 9-11 came, those guys identified our nation with ancient Israel in their arrogance and pride that God is condemning and just identified us with that. It was really scary. When I saw that it was like my heart fell, it's, it's a bad thing to do that. Um, bricks have fallen, so we will rebuild with dressed stone. We have, re- we have fulfilled that prophecy in the arrogance and pride of our heart that they did in ancient Israel. Now, ancient Israel was being warned by God, and they were about to experience a permanent, and that's not the right word, a very long-lasting judgment that would last for literally millennia before the, the hand of God would be taken down in judgment against those people. If you haven't read The Harbinger by Jonathan Kahn, I recommend it. Uh, He has written another book since then that is a sort of sequel called The Mystery of the Shemitah, S-H-E-M-I-T-A-H. Worth your while to read that these are both easy reads and uh, give us an instruction from an angle that we don't usually get. When 9-11 occurred... It was a Tuesday. You remember where you were when that happened. The stock market closed and did not reopen until the following Monday. On that following Monday, it experienced the greatest loss that's ever been experienced up to that point in a single day. And in, in the wake of that... There was all kinds of uh, fallout for the economy. Businesses just failed right and left. It was not a happy time in the United States. In the face of that, we continued with our bumper stickers that had a flag and said, the power of pride. Our arrogance was totally obvious. You've heard me whiningly ask, why don't we get a bumper sticker that says the power of humility? Well, because, bless God, we're not going to let those guys get by with that. We're going blah, blah, blah. And I understand that because I have that same streak of red-blooded Americanism, we like to call it if we're complimenting ourselves, And what it really is, is a lack of humility as if we can defend ourselves and take care of our problems and defeat our enemies. We can 
when God's hand is upon us for blessing. We can't when God's hand is upon us raised in judgment against us. Seven years after that record-breaking crash of the stock market, the stock market set a new record of the greatest loss in a single day. And though it, in the wake of 9-11, it appeared as Americans across the U.S. gathered in houses of worship that we were going to have a revival, it never came. In place of revival, there was a spiritual and moral apostasy unprecedented in our history, and its pace was ever accelerating. Now, there is increasing talk concerning the end of, quote, Christian America, unquote. Makes some of us really, really mad when we hear that, but polls indicate that there is a departure from biblical ethics and values. The turn is most pronounced in the younger generation, which will predict a very difficult future as far as moral and spiritual values are concerned. In the fall of ancient Israel, the nation decided it could rewrite morality and change what was good and evil, sin and righteousness, and that's exactly what we've done in this country, and you and I have been wringing our hands over this fact. What was once recognized as right is now attacked as evil. What had once been recognized as sin is now celebrated as virtue. It was, it was true in ancient Israel. It's true in current U.S. Morals, standards, values that had undergirded not only that nation, but our nation was the foundation of that nation as it was ours. Increasingly, those morals and values were overturned, overruled, and discarded. And those who would not go along with this change, who just continued to uphold the values that were once universally held, now are increasingly marginalized, vilified, condemned by the culture, by the state, and are persecuted. Not only through abortion did the blood of unborn children continue to flow, as it did in ancient Israel. They were sacrificing their children to an idol. But the number of those killed in the United States by abortion is now well over 50 million. This this nation's moral descent has now reached a point where the government was seeking to force those who held to God's word to go against that word, punishing resistance with fines, with damages, and with condemnation. Any deviation from the new ethics of apostasy has been swiftly punished. At the same time, the name of God increasingly has become the object of attack mockery, blasphemy. It seemed as if every day a new threshold of apostasy and moral dissent had been crossed. America is and was in moral and spiritual collapse 
and rapidly transforming into the opposite of that city on a hill that we have been called in the past and holy commonwealth as our founding fathers intended it to be. So now we've entered the territory of ancient Israel's apostasy, a nation which the prophets cried out in Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and on it goes. It goes on and on. And that is the point. America, having been formed after the pattern of ancient Israel, has now been following the course of ancient Israel's apostasy. Thus, it could be no accident that the same warnings, the same harbingers of uh, trouble that appeared in ancient Israel are now appearing in the U.S., Each one of these warnings, every harbinger, is a warning of coming judgment. And sadly, and worse than the fact that these warnings are coming, is that we are responding as a nation like they did. Arrogance, pride, and and it's just like we must puff ourselves up and become the he-man It makes us crazy if our government has a weak response to, uh, in its foreign policy, to someone that is is in great need of judgment falling on them. And so the judgments have continued to fall. Fourteen years ago, a little over, 9-11 happened. Seven years later, we had another heavy, heavy hand of judgment fall on us as a nation. This year, now I want you to be encouraged by this, I predict (laughs) another hand of judgment from God. It's been interesting through the years when, when something like a a tragedy like Katrina would fall and somebody would say, do you think that's the judgment of God? And you knowing my personality know that I would say something like, well, I don't think it's the blessing of God. And when the stock market implodes, when other things come on our nation, when we can't get a foreign policy that, that, that we can be proud of it all, I don't think that's the blessing of God. Do you? How shall we respond? Well, I think the sermon so far would help us to back into a corner, get a blanket and pull it up over us, and just kind of get in a fetal position, being supported by two walls, you know, and just hide. Now, that would be the response of some of us. Some of us would make sure that that our CCW was current and just say, bring them on. Come on. But whatever our response in the flesh, there is a scriptural response. And I said all of that negative stuff to you, which I dearly hate doing in this pulpit, because I wanted to contrast 
that dark picture with that which Jesus brings to us. Paul the Apostle speaks to us as he did in the text that we read about Jesus. By the way, the challenge is, shall we, how shall we do this? And it says, let this mind, this attitude, this is your thought process to be like Jesus who emptied himself totally of his prerogatives as God and became human, became slave, and became a crucifix. And because of his faithfulness, God Almighty, his Father, exalted him, raised him up, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You say, I'm still down here from that first part of the sermon. Well, stick with me, because the Scripture is more important than my sermon. And the Scripture says, we will have this attitude, if we are willing to do so, of humbling ourselves, and then God lifts up the one who humbles himself. You see, the Scripture says God resists the proud. What does that say about our bumper stickers, the power of pride? As if we're stronger than God. Have you ever met someone that was considerably stronger than you physically and tried to go against them? It's not a good plan. Not a good plan. All of my life, before I came to Kansas City, I was of average size, a little bit taller than average height, but just average size. And if somebody were bigger and they were threatened, you know, somebody would say, well, yeah, but they're, we'd say, he's big, but he's slow. Then I came to Kansas City and got acquainted with and became friends with a bunch of the Kansas City Chiefs who could easily outweigh me 100 pounds and could easily run right up my back. Quick didn't count anymore because they were quicker. And I see God resisting the proud like this. You get down in the offensive line and the defensive line of a football team, and you dig in, and across from you is God Almighty, and you're going to block him. Right. And I remember when Charlie Getty, who claimed 280, he probably weighed more than that, but he would be in the floor wrestling with our four-year-old, who was about this big around, and they were playing, because if it were serious, I don't know what I'd have done, but I'd have had to get him off her, because he could have hurt her. Yes, don't get down in a three-point stance across from God. Say, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, time, time, time. I, I, need, I need to get on the other side of this line so that I'm lined up beside God. That's smart. 
See, another, another thing that we didn't say back when I was a kid and we would talk about somebody larger is that we assumed that we were smarter than they also. Now, that probably was certainly up in the air, but we, you know, give room for our arrogance. You used to be arrogant, too. I'm so glad you're humble now. Don't puff yourself up against God. You're not smarter than He line up on his side how shall we respond as judgment falls what if the market this fall sets a brand new record of greatest loss in a single day what if that happens well some may lose jobs there may be there may be no market for the cars that we build in this community Uh, there can be all kinds of negative stuff come down from the uh, businesses that we see as kind of the backbone of the economic community here. What if that happens? Well, by the way, that's a good place to be tithing. And just see if the Lord will keep His word and take care of you in the face of such stuff. You see, the hand of God in judgment cannot be resisted by the nation. But that never, ever does away with this promise, God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And the scripture says very clearly, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up. That's in the face of this darkness. And so I want you to see very clearly here Paul responding to darkness that was in his world. Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Out of the glorious riches of God, the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen us Holy Spirit is going to be in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, by the way, our arrogance does not promote love. It's like the line that has gone around thousands and thousands of times since ISIS became a part of of our, of our thought life. Just kill them all and let God sort them out. Now, that's not love. You say, how can I love them? You can't unless God helps you. If God helps you, you, when he calls for something, get this message. If God calls for something, he puts himself on the line to make it happen in you when you humble yourself. Anybody experience that? That fits in with that line when I'm working on some forgiveness issue, if I may have against somebody, and I, in the name of Jesus, Father, I forgive them. And then I say, now you know that's not true. But I want it to be true. And you see, that's the humbling. I can't do it. I need it to be true. I need your forgiveness, and so I'm going to have to be, you know, that's where you reap what you sow. That's also Jesus very clearly said, if you can't 
If you can't put reap what you sow on that, Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their sins against you, your father won't forgive you his sin, your sins against him. You don't have to be a theologian to understand those scriptures, honey. They're, they're starkly clear. Rooted and grounded in love, humility is part of that deal. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, when I pray for me and when I pray for you, I ask for all the fullness, and I use Christ instead of God, uh, God's name, I use Christ's name fullness of Christ. I want in you and I want in me all the fullness of Christ. How do we get that? We get over the fact that we can meet our needs with our own hands. We humble ourselves and cry out and pray, if you come and fix this, it will be fixed. If you don't, it won't. But if you don't, I'm going to be sitting right down here waiting for you to fix it because you are our only hope. Our only hope. You don't want to rise up in your strength. That's what the ancient Israelites did. They were later invaded. Everything was destroyed. They were deported and they immigrated people into that country from foreign nations. And they re their offspring remain there till today in that part of Israel. We need to be filled with all the fullness of the measure of Christ. In a moment, I'm going to show a video of a, of a piece of testimony of a guy who is a minister and has a ministry of healing and just encouraging the church before I do that, I want you to know that if you have come in here today and you really don't fit into this Christian thing all that well, you're just, uh, I mean, you're not mad at God, maybe you are, but you just, you haven't moved to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to urge you that before this service is over, you bring yourself under control and say, God, I need you. I want to walk with you. Let me assure you, he will accept you. Did you hear that? He, God Almighty, will accept you if you just say, I need you. Come help me. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. All that will happen. All that will happen because that's his will. And he loves you. He cares. And so as we go on, I'm, I'm going to continue to speak to the church. But I want you to know that God loves you, cares about you, and will bring you into life in him and make all this stuff that could happen against us seem like, what? What is the deal? Would you please roll that video? See, Satan, really. Satan crucified Jesus on the cross, agree? He moved in men. Jesus said it's the hour of darkness, so Satan inspired men to kill the Son of God, so there's no changing that. So he did that. Oops, right? So now Jesus raises from the dead. <gasps> I was played like a pawn into the hand of God's wisdom, and I opened the door for salvation for all men. <gasps> At one point, that had to hit him and every demon force that we really blew it. 
Okay? So, but here's the deal. Did they blow it if they can keep us blind? And did they blow it if they can keep us in fear? Did they blow it if they can keep us self-conscious and self-centered and self-focused? Did they blow it if they can keep us from entering in and surrendering and sacrificing the old to take on the new? Did they blow it? Or can they create religion, build buildings all over the country, get us to argue over doctrine, and by the year 2012, it's almost an Easter story? So they really blew it, but did they blow it? Here's his mission. Hear me well. Satan is on a mission to keep you from ever seeing what he absolutely knows. And that is that Jesus is Lord. Are you following me? Now, I know we sing he's Lord, but I'm talking you live he's Lord. Where fear is swallowed up in that revelation. I watched a demon spirit in a woman seize a woman on the floor that was a Shiite Muslim. Her whole life trained in the Shiite Muslim belief, a radical and she, came, she heard me preach and came up and said, I want Jesus and I want more of him. I thought she was a Christian wanting more. So I thought, boy, this is easy. Holy Spirit, would you just come, Father? And she just went, and she collapsed on the floor. I turned to pray for the next person, and she went into a canatonic trance, like a seizure motion, frozen. And the most unbelievable look of terror was in her human face that an actor couldn't have did what I saw. And I looked down at her, precious young black lady from Philadelphia. She's like looking at the ceiling and she's canatonic. She's the terror in her face. I didn't know she was a Shiite Muslim. I'm so glad. I'd have probably tried to pray a certain way. <laughs> I'm on you now. <laughs> See? I took a step and I looked and I said, Holy Spirit, this is obviously demonic. This is, man, this thing, what's going on? He said, Dan, she's asked for Jesus. She's asked for more of him. And the demon that has bound her her whole life is beholding the face of the Son of God. I cried for three days after this happened and couldn't even talk about it. I cried for three days. I looked down at her and I'm telling you, it wasn't cocky or arrogant, but you talk about a barnyard banny. I went, <laughs> you know why? Because I got this vision of Jesus in this church and it was a high roof and, and he was standing over her like this. And this demon was like this. They are so afraid of Jesus. They are powerless. Listen, they're doomed to everlasting chains and punishment and can do nothing about it. And yet they hold you in fear. And God's in you. They're damned to eternal damnation and can't stop it. And yet we fear them and the one they fear is in us. Let's get over us and understand what this thing's about. That's why I'm passionate. That's why I'm off my chair. Because I don't fear anymore. I had a demon spirit manifest in my bedroom, guys, and it made me aware of my salvation. And I rejoiced in the blood of Jesus while it was in my bedroom. I didn't go, oh my God, shut up. It walked in my bedroom to threaten me and my salvation became more evident than ever before in the presence of the devil. Because <laughs> I have nothing to do with him and he has nothing to do with me. I've been bought with the blood. Why am I afraid? You following me? So this girl, I, I looked and I said, now you see, now you understand why you have to let her go because he is Lord. And this girl goes, ah! 
Holy Spirit said, stand her up and tell her I love her. She has never been in church in her life. We stand her up and she's going, praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praising the Lord. We touch her. She goes, shut it. I'm like, what just happened? I thought she was already saved. I didn't know. Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, Dan, because a man ran up and said, I'm so glad you got to pray for her. I brought her from Philly. Did God show you she was a Shiite? I said, what did she tell you? I said, huh? And I just started, I just started bawling because I knew. If I knew that, I'd have came at it a certain way. And as soon as I started crying, it was conviction. And Holy Spirit said, see, Dan, all I ever want you to know and all you ever need to know is Jesus is Lord. We make things so complicated. Praise God. Church, that's how we shall respond. Get full of the Lord and declare Jesus is Lord in every circumstance. Every circumstance. And I want to have the privilege of the assurance in your heart and in mine that Jesus is the, is the deal. He is the deal. And if any of you buy into this and say, you know what, I think that's what I need to know. Whatever happens, Jesus is Lord. Would you just stand to your feet? We do not have a spirit of fear from the Lord. We have power, love, and good sense. It sounds mine. Did you get the message? Our country is in trouble. Now, there is a possibility that we'll have revival if if think the bottom, you know, some more wheels fall off this year. Possibility we'll have revival. How shall we respond to that? Jesus is Lord. Take these people into the Word and into the Spirit, etc. If terrible, awful things happen, and we don't have a revival, Jesus is Lord and is our only hope. Do you, Somebody needs to nod, so I'll... (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I want us to begin to declare in our own heart, right now, you just build a little prayer closet right where you stand. Jesus is Lord. Begin to declare that in your prayer closet.